the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to shift gears this hour and talk about something different, and I don't think we've ever had um, a uh, butterfly farmer on the show but uh, joining me by phone, the author of a new book that helps tell kids about uh, butterfly conservation and more is uh, Teresa Parrish. And uh, Teresa joins me by phone. Hi, Teresa. Welcome to the show. Hello, Teresa. Well, for some reason, I'm not hearing Teresa uh, maybe she'll disconnect and call back. It happens once in a while where uh, we have a guest lined up. But in any event, um, oh, there she is. Let's see if we can. Hi, Teresa. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the show. Sorry we had a little glitch there, but... Uh, um, thanks for your uh, persistence in, in calling back so we could get reconnected. Um, I, I was just saying that, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that I even knew there was such a thing as butterfly farming. What, what is a butterfly farmer, Teresa? Well, that is a great question. For some people, they think of commercial butterfly farming. And when you talk about commercial butterfly farming, it usually involves a large operation that raises a lot of different kind of butterflies for releases at weddings and graduations. They might supply chrysalis to uh, museums and schools for children to be able to participate in a science project. 
But really? butterfly farming to me, to the individual, to the child, is merely someone who knows about butterfly conservation and wants to participate in some way. So that includes, for at least the monarchs, planting their larval host plant, which is milkweed, and nectar sources and shelter sources so that you can actually facilitate um, the monarch life cycle. And so that's what I do, and I do it all the time, whether I'm in an urban dwelling or if I'm in a country setting, is planting those beautiful butterfly gardens and then also many times I will take the, the caterpillars or the eggs in and put them into cages and actually ensure that they can get to that butterfly stage and then release them. <laughs> and this is fascinating to me. I, you know, I, about all I've ever really known about butterflies was that they were often a distraction to people who... <laughs> who have attention deficit disorder. It's like, oh, look, a butterfly, and they forget about what they were doing. Um, and I know about people who keep beehives and and mm -hmm. are very concerned about, um, you know, bee extinction and its right. impact on plant and food um, farming and so on. But I've this is new to me, so forgive me if if I ask a lot of beginner questions. Um, why? What is the role of of butterflies in the grand scheme of ecology? Mm, I was just going to note that you're talking about ecology, um, but so the grand the grand uh, plan for the pollinators, all in general. I mean, it can be a butterfly, it can be a bee. It could be any type of insect that actually goes from plant to plant using nectar sources. Um, they are part of the entire life cycle for food production. So in the same concern that we have for bees and the dwindling number of bees, um, it's the same for the butterflies and especially the monarch. I mean, we think of the monarch as being probably the most well-known butterfly in North America. Of and course. In fact, the, the you know, state butterfly or insect in at least seven states in the United States so this is one that's near and dear to my heart, but it does play the same role that bees do. I mean, butterflies go from plant to plant uh, with the, you know, getting their nectar sources, which as they move from one plant to another, they're cross-pollinating. So they are part of the food production. And you have a, a book out now for kids, I'm guessing. It um, is. The Adventures of Johnny Butterfly Seed. And mm -hmm. I, I have a couple of questions. One is, uh, how firmly planted in your cheek was your tongue when you came up with Johnny Butterfly Seed? <laughs> it is completely modeled after Johnny Appleseed. And the reason being is Johnny, just like Johnny Appleseed, took a passion around creating something in the world. And so Johnny Appleseed went across and he planted all these apple trees that provided food for everyone. And Johnny Butterfly Seed goes about planting milkweed seeds everywhere and teaching kids about the monarch butterfly and what it takes to help them and so they don't disappear. With the other question I was going to ask you, Teresa, is what made you decide to write this book and, and put mm. this book out for kids? So two parts to that. 
One, of course, when I was a kid, the monarch was my favorite butterfly. I didn't know that there was dwindling numbers until I, you know, was quite a bit older um, and then learned about, you know, why? Why is the monarch disappearing? And, of course, you know, we it's just like the, the bees. You know, there's urban development, there's climate change, there's the use of um, pesticides, herbicides on our plants, and um, this causes the, uh, the monarch uh, milkweed to disappear. And if you don't have milkweed, you don't have monarchs. So when I learned this, I'm like, well, what can I do? I'm an adult. Then, because I'm a change maker in the business world, I thought, how do I create future change? And I thought, well, let's actually inspire and educate the kids today who are the future leaders of tomorrow so that they know about all these issues. They, they learn and they get inspired and they have a passion about saving endangered species, but especially the monarch butterfly. What is the biggest danger to monarch butterflies? Is it the lack of uh, environment, or are they being destroyed by chemicals or other things? Well, I would say the number one thing is really, um, it's their lack of habitat. So, you know, milkweed has the word weed. And, you know, we are programmed here in the United States to say we pull weeds, we get rid of weeds, we spray them, we get them out of the ditches. Um, and so we've been doing that for a number of years. And most people aren't aware that if you have no milkweed, you have no monarchs. They have to have milkweed to lay their eggs on. Those caterpillars need to eat the milkweed in order to get to the point of forming that chrysalis. You don't get a chrysalis. You don't get a butterfly. What, um, aside from butterfly reproduction, what is there a function to milkweed? Why why are those those little fuzzy things blowing around in the air all the time in the spring? Mm. Well, that's milkweed's way of spreading itself. So those little fuzzy things actually attach to it as a little brown seed, and so. The milkweed at certain stages will produce this pod, and I'm sure you've seen these pods, and eventually that pod starts to mature, and it dries, and it pops open, and those little fuzzy seeds, they come out, and the wind spreads them around, hopefully taking root somewhere where they can grow and produce more milkweed. What gets in the way of that, of course, is um, everyone going along and spraying their ditches and weeding their gardens and pulling out anything that's a weed. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about the function of uh, milkweed. I've even heard some people call it ragweed. Mm, that's, I think, a different plant. I, it a probably lot of allergies. <laughs> it, it probably is, but but I think of those two things as sort of the same, as though they don't mm. have uh, a, a function that we would want to embrace. Um, is it is perpetuation of milkweed simply letting it do its thing you know and not weeding it out of uh, yards and ditches and gardens and so on or um, is there an effort that needs to be made to plant them well at this point in time it's an effort and you know for anyone an adult or a child to know that they could make a difference for the monarch butterfly simply by planting milkweed um it's not much to ask 
plant milkweed, let it grow, and then how, you know what? Monarchs will show up. <laughs> how how would one even do that? I mean, is is milkweed available in packages at garden stores mm-hmm. and so on? Yes. So you can buy milkweed seed. Um, you should always check, you know, what part of the country you're in, which region. Region, because there's several different forms of um, milkweed, depending on where you are in this country. So, yes, you can buy it, and sometimes you can even go to, like, Home Depot or Lowe's, and you can buy milkweed when it's in season. And if it isn't, ask. Have them carry it. And and then how does how does that happen? Do you plant it just the way you would a, a geranium or something else? Absolutely. So if you're going to plant a, a butterfly garden, which is what I recommend, you would plant your milkweed, and then you would plant a lot of great flowers that are nectar sources. And then you would also plant um, maybe some shrubbery nearby that is what I call shelter. Because for a lot of the monarchs, the caterpillar, when it's ready to form its chrysalis, might go off from the plant and try to seek shelter where it won't be eaten while it's in the process of turning into a chrysalis. Because lizards and other insects will eat the chrysalis or the caterpillar. Oh, and, and how do you avoid that? Well, you put up a shrubbery that provides that sort of shelter for them. For me, as a butterfly farmer, if I see caterpillars and eggs, I may take them in and I have butterfly cages that I will actually grow the milkweed, allow those uh, caterpillars to mature, form chrysalis, and then actually eclose or come out of the chrysalis as a butterfly. And then I just take the time to make sure that they're doing well, that they're, they've had some nectar sources, they have the energy, and within a day I release them back out into the wild. Teresa, how big an operation do you have? It's just small, but that's that's the goal, right? It's like you can have you can do small things every single day to help instead of thinking, "Wow, I have to have this overwhelming large amount of space in which to run an operation that's so big." So, that's what makes it accessible for everyone. You can even have a single butterfly tent with, you know, two things of milkweed inside of it and and raise a caterpillar and a butterfly. Uh, that you know the other thing that I've associated butterflies with is that that cause and effect uh, thing of if a butterfly flaps its wings in in Michigan there's a, a tsunami in Japan <laughs> <laughs> well there's so many um, concepts that you can actually have conversations with children and adults about when you think about the butterfly because yes the ripple effect of the butterfly but there's also the significant miracle transformation. So when you can take um, this tiny little egg that you can barely see with your eyes, that op- it hatches into a itsy bitsy tiny caterpillar you can barely see, and then within two weeks you've got this big fat caterpillar, and it'll go and it'll form a chrysalis. And within 14 days, all of a sudden you're looking at the most beautiful butterfly in North America. It's this- transformation <laughs> this this is amazing and i want to talk about that a little bit more but i have to take a break here Teresa. can you stand by for a few minutes and we'll talk some more? absolutely all right mm-hmm. my guest is uh butterfly farmer if you will uh, Teresa p 
Parrish, who is also the author of a children's book called The Adventures of Johnny Butterfly Seed. And we're going to talk about some of Johnny's adventures when we come back, but first we're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break, then we'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Hello. Speaking. Oh dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. 
Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. And the Tom Sumner Program. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and we're talking uh, with Butterfly Farmer and author of a new book for kids called The Adventures of Johnny Butterfly Seed, Teresa Parrish, who joins me by phone. Teresa, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem. I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> um, Teresa, what are some of the adventures of Johnny Butterfly Seed? Well, some of the adventures, without giving too much away, um, Johnny is out and he is in his milkweed field and he realizes every single year there's less and less monarchs. And then his fairy friend, Raven Silverwing, swoops down and they, they come up with a plan. What do they need to do? And um, they decide to launch a mission to save the monarchs and go across the entire country teaching and educating kids about what they can do. Now, Johnny faces a lot of his own struggles about and how can I, just one person, make a difference? And what he learns is a lot of teachable moments or soft skills that are, you know, applicable to children about, you know what, take it one day at a time. And, you know, when you have a passion for something, there's probably a lot of other people who have that same passion. So work together to make a big difference. Is our butterflies something we can... Um, coexist with pretty pretty comfortably. I, I know a lot of people have bee phobias. You know, they're concerned mm. about letting hives go near their, uh, their property out of fear of being stung and so on. But with, with butterflies, are, are, there, are there any nuisance factors at all? No. I mean, unless you think a nuisance might be being distracted, like you said, like, oh, there's a <laughs> oh, butterfly. a butterfly. <laughs> a butterfly. But, you know, I say, is this a good distraction? Probably yes, because it makes us pause what we're doing, sometimes unaware, and then connect in some way with nature. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I've seen images, photographs, and, and video of butterflies being released at weddings. It mm-hmm. never really occurred to me how they were collected and, mm, and, and yeah. brought there that there that there was actually a farming operation that that generates enough butterflies to make that kind of a presentation this is fascinating do you run into people like me that just that know absolutely nothing about butterflies a lot all the time. Um, <laughs> most people don't really even think about it because, you know, in this day and age, we lead such, we lead such a busy life. 
And sometimes we forget to just pause and notice what's in our surroundings. And I hope, if anything, this can create that sort of awareness, not only for children, but also adults. Take the time to connect with nature. And, you know, most people I know, even my friends, when I say, you know, the monarch is actually on the endangered species list as of December of last year, they're like, what? Most people don't know. They just, they we've taken it for granted all these years that the monarch will always be here. And now it's endangered. You know, the monarch is the only kind of butterfly that I think I could name or recognize mm -hmm. that, that there is that type. But what are some of the other types? You know, the black swallowtail is very common, and you probably have seen it, but you might not know. But it's a beautiful, it's a larger butterfly. It's a little larger than the monarch, and it has beautiful markings with blue and yellow on it. Um, that's a very popular one, and people probably don't even know that. If you grow dill or parsley or carrots in your garden, a lot of times you'll find what they think is a nuisance bug eating away at your leaves, and it's actually a black swallowtail caterpillar. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's their larval host plants. <laughs> That's, see, this is, this is all just fascinating to me because it's, um, it, like you say, it's something... Eh, you're aware that there are butterflies and that there are monarch butterflies, but you really, we don't really think about them much. Of course, a lot of us spend an awful lot of time indoors. We don't spend nearly as mm -hmm. much time outdoors as we should. Um, but let's talk about that a little bit. You talked about having milkweed um, and and some flowers in, in a mm -hmm. garden. Um how how can that can that be done attractively? How do you, how do you do that so that it becomes something nice to look at and not simply functional? Well, most people don't know, but milkweed produces very beautiful flowers. Really? So y you can mix it right in with your other flowers and make it a very beautiful garden. Um, so, you know, depending on what type of milkweed you have, it could be, the flowers could be uh, red and orange. They could be pink. They could be white. Um, but they do flower just like, just like a lot of other weeds that we get rid of. <laughs> They're just beautiful little flowers on them. <laughs> now, see, that's fascinating because all I've ever really been aware of is I, they were almost like akin to dandelions. I was just thinking of dandelions. That's another weed that I did not get rid of. <laughs> yeah, I'm not as turned off by those as some people are. Um, you know, it, it doesn't bother me to have a lot of dandelions, you know, in my lawn, for example. No, and if people actually knew more about dandelions themselves, I mean... This is a plant that's edible. The leaves are edible. The root can be used for medicinal purposes. And the flowers, they're also edible, but they also are a great nectar source for pollinators. So the more we keep getting rid of these, what are useful plants, um, and it isn't just because people want to. They actually are unaware. So I think, you know, the more you learn, you know, just don't do what everyone always does. Don't be like the Joneses. Like, learn and make decisions for yourself. <laughs> Are there any plants that don't have a function? Hmm. I mean, That's I, a good you know, question. And, I, and I'm thinking about 
um, like, for example, you were talking about keeping up with the Joneses. And, and I know for years I, I wanted to have a lawn that was absolutely pristine, you know, that was just mm-hmm. grass. And, right. And so I would, you know, do chemical treatments and, you know, other things, pesticides and so on. And, and try to get rid of all the, the weeds, you know, from the lawn. And as I think about it, what function does grass play? Well, you know, here's the thing. Most people who are trying to create those beautiful, you know, like golf course lawns. Yeah, yeah. Are you, yeah, they're usually planting a grass seed that might not even be native to their area of the country, which introduces a whole lot of imbalance when you think about the ecology um, uh, imprints. So I'm going to give you an example. Here in Florida, I live in an area that has a lot of um, scrub environment, which is very, it's, it's almost like desert, except for it's humid. And um, people here think, you know, they move here from the north and they think, I need to put in my beautiful lawn. And they will plant all this seed and it literally creates a, a bed for, let's say, fire ants that would normally not exist with native grasses. But when you introduce the non-native grasses, you introduce insects that you may not want in your lawn. So again, instead of just doing what everyone does, think about what you really want to do. And every change you make um, in your native land will impact the ecology. Well, and, and, and so really the, the best plan is to let nature be nature. Yeah, if we can get there. But, you know, so many people are like into looking good rather than doing good. It's very well put. <laughs> um, it sounds like one of the sh- one of the political shows that I do. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's let's get back to the adventures of Johnny Butterfly Seed. Just as a reminder to listeners, the new book by my guest uh, Teresa Parrish. And I, I did want to mention the illustration uh, on the front of the book and the illustrations in the book. Um, do you, do you want to give credit to the illustrator? Yes. So the illustrations are done by Stephanie Rickle, and she is a very talented illustrator and design, a graphic design artist. Um, I found her through a series of references, and it turns out that she lived right in Florida as well. Um, she has done just an amazing job of taking my story and creating the illustrations that really bring the book to life. So... I will be working with her again when I write the next uh, book in the series. It's going to be a series. When d- when did this book come out, or when does it come out? It was just earlier this year in May when it was released okay. by um, Post Hill Press, so a traditional uh, publishing house. And you said there's there are going to be. Uh, is it going to? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are going to be more books. It's going to be a series. Are, is it going to be the continuing adventures of uh, Johnny Butterfly Seed? Well, I would like Johnny Butterfly Seed to always be my main character. The focus will always be on endangered species. So, continuing to take that thread of raising awareness with children um, and engaging them in something that they may later be in a decision-making capability around the endangered species. So I have a feeling that the next uh, book will feature, there will be butterflies in it, that will be featuring 
uh, the endangered tortoises and turtles. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. This, I, I keep wanting to ask you if this book was a product um, of the pandemic. If you know what I mean by that. I do, actually. So, yes, that's a really excellent question because in, in the business world, I am a consultant for mergers and acquisitions and um, organizational change, transformation. And during COVID, when COVID hit, it was a very slow period as a consultant. And I thought, what is the something wonderful that's happening right now? And it was the gift of time to write a book that I have been meaning to write for a very long time. So, yes, it is a product of the pandemic. Um, the most positive expression that I can think of of coming, you know, having a pandemic in the world. Yeah. And the, you know, the opportunity it was picked up by a traditional publisher and it's literally distributed worldwide now through every online bookstore. Well, it's, you know, obviously a, a silver lining to be sure. But I wanted to ask that question because I've talked to a number of writers and some who have had long careers of best-selling works that were just taken so off guard by quarantines and mm-hmm. lockdowns that some of them admitted that you know they're, they're looking back over the time and thinking they should have been more productive oh <laughs> you know, i th- i thought of it as an amazing opportunity to be productive <laughs> well i i wanted to bring it up and say and good for you for you know making that time work for you because a lot a lot of people were just like deer in the headlights yeah, I, I tend to take action. <laughs> well, it's it's an incredible, uh, incredible project. And, um, you know, I, I, I just wish you the best of luck. Um, when the book came out in May, were you able to interact with um, with with readers and audiences and children well, and actually, so on and get feedback were you able to do that by zoom some some writers have you know been able to yeah do programs with kids for example right so i am looking to do more opportunities with kids what i'll say is well we are still or we're still on lockdown in a lot of areas of the country yeah the traditional way of getting out there with your book and interacting with children it's changed so a lot of events weren't happening. Um, you know, you can't go to the bookstore and do book signings. You can't go to the school library and do reading. You can't go to school. So these are the things that we're just finding a new way of being. So um, I'm always looking for opportunities to do that. And uh, it's starting to get a little bit better. I mean, doing Internet interviews and things like that are the way that things are now. So it's very different. Well, I re- really appreciate you spending uh, spending this time with me and the listeners this morning, and and I wish you all the best with the book. When do you think the uh, the next book will be out? Well, with publishers, it does take a bit, so I would say I'm hoping for early 2023. <laughs> um, Teresa, I we're just about out of time, but I always ask guests. Um, 
I, I want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and butterfly farming and the book and mm-hmm. your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yes, you can go to www.johnnybutterflyseed.com. You will find um, information on the book as well as a lot of educational blogs. So if you live in an urban community and you want to know how to build a butterfly garden, um, that information is all there. So I encourage uh, listeners to go check it out if they're interested. There's ways to reach out directly to me on my website as well. Well, again, Teresa, thanks so much for spending this time with me and keep up the good work. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, you heard it, folks. Uh, My first interview with a butterfly farmer, Teresa Parrish, author of The Adventures of Johnny Butterfly Seed. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. 
Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Jonah Pody. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Jail. Miss Falls Creek and the Elsa on the street trying to 
up there on that rooftop. You ain't got no ID. Well, you're gonna have to come along with me. Christmas is sure to fail. Santa is stuck in jail. Miss Claus freak and the elves are on the street trying to raise money for bail. Christmas is sure to fail. If we can't get Santa out of jail. So they took him to the judge in the middle of the night. And the judge said, yeah, I think you're nuts, all right. But I'll give you one chance to prove me wrong. Make me believe you're the real Santa Claus. And if you can do that right, well, I'll let you sleep it off at home tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Santa hunkered down low. Put his finger on the side of his nose And he started humming Christmas carols real low He said When you were five years old Your name was Greg You left me milk and cookies And a note that said Dear Santa All I really want is a puppy I love him forever And I'll name him Buddy And so you did For 15 years Till Buddy passed away And you cried many tears And you lost your faith Like so many do But I got a little something to tell you that's true The love you give never really goes away And it all comes back on Christmas Day So here's a little something that I want to give to you And Santa handed him a puppy named Buddy Jr. Puppy wrapped up in his sleeve and said, Good God Almighty, I believe. Bailiff, set that man free. He's got things to do. It's Christmas Eve. Christmas is sure to succeed. And to all a good night. May 
days be merry and bright and may all your Christmases be You know that he is sleigh bells in the snow. Mm-hmm. 
it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to all of my guests, including uh, this last hour with Teresa Parrish, the author of The Adventures of Johnny Butterfly Seed, and my first butterfly farmer on the show in almost 15 years. I also want to say thanks to Chief Legal Analyst from Esquire Digital, Aaron Solomon, for explaining the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization uh, case before the Supreme Court. And we started out with my buddy uh, Wes Whitaker talking about the Convention of States. Also want to say thanks to um, Todd Gilbert because we're getting to play some new Christmas music the this Tom year. Good night, everybody. A live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.